Hey everyone, welcome to season five of Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin McCord. Uh, listen, Group Thinkers is the podcast from RKD Group. And on each and every episode, we tackle what's happening in the nonprofit space by chatting with someone who's doing something innovative, something different, someone who is uh, breaking the norms or advancing something that's cool, different, and, and helpful for nonprofit marketers. And uh, this episode is unique because it's a two-parter. Uh, I first met Justin Wheeler from Fundraise in uh, early 2020. And, uh, you know, as I'm sitting here now in September talking to you about early 2020, I recognize that it was a long time ago and many challenges ago. And so when Justin and I uh, sat down in early 2020, we were talking about the year ahead and, and hearing about his journey and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, as things would have it, and as you know, uh, in March... Our world was turned upside down as nonprofit marketers as the, uh, the virus, the coronavirus, uh, took off, advanced, and changed the landscape of how we market, how we connect with our donors, and how we ultimately fundraise. So the, the episode with Justin never got off the ground. We had recorded it, we were moving into production, and then things happened, and we halted our production and then shifted to immediate uh, coronavirus coverage, as it were, which you can hear in the archives of Group Thinkers if you go back and, and listen to season four, where we talk to a number of influencers and great minds around what is happening and what was happening at the time. Uh, but I appreciate Justin so much and appreciate the spirit of what Fundraise is doing that I didn't want to let that conversation go. So I reached back out to Justin recently and, and uh, had a chance to reconnect with him. And so this episode is, is different and unique because uh, you're going to hear from Justin Wheeler and, and me, Justin. You're going to hear from the Justins uh, in a two-part conversation. And the first part is when Justin and I first chatted in early 2020. And so you're going to hear about Justin's journey. You're going to hear about the fundraise journey. You're going to hear a lot about live streaming and advancements in technology which is great groundwork for part two. And so I'm going to throw it to the first conversation with Justin now, and then I'll come back in a minute and uh, we'll pause for an intermission and then we'll tackle the part two. So here's part one of Justin Wheeler from Fundraise on Group Thinkers. So, well, like I said, man, thanks, Justin, for, for um, taking time to chat. I know uh, you're not a stranger to these sort of conversations because you post a heck of a lot of stuff on, on LinkedIn and, and webinars that you do. So you're comfortable in front of a mic, and, and I love that. Uh, you know, so um, I want to start our conversation with you talking about your journey. I'm fascinated by the pieces that I've been able to connect the dots on, but I want to hear it in your words, you know, from, uh, from your, your time, both on the nonprofit side and how that has uh, catapulted you into this entrepreneurial space and the, the tech company that you're currently leading, leading. So Justin, just give me an idea of, of your path. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've always been a starter. I've always liked to start things. Um, so it goes back really to 
um, sophomore year in college, uh, a few friends of mine made this documentary about this war that was going on in Uganda, um, later known as, as Invisible Children. And I was, you know, was watching this documentary and I just, I couldn't reconcile the fact that like I was this privileged kid sitting at this university watching this film where children were fleeing for their lives every night uh, and it had been this way uh, for at the time 17 years. So that, um, that just kind of experience uh, pushed me into the nonprofit world of wanting to get involved and use my you know, expertise and, and talents. Um, so uh, that summer, I actually went to uh, Gulu, Uganda with my best friend, and we spent the entire summer on the ground in Uganda. And uh, for the next five and a half years, I, I spent working as a college student and then you know, graduating uh, university. I spent the next five and a half years working full-time at Invisible Children, building up this movement of students uh, around, around the world um, to uh, help end this, you know, this war that was happening in, in Uganda. And, and then in that, in, that, in that experience, I started learning about uh, North Korea. And my wife and I uh, wanted to do something to get involved. And so we started looking and Googling for nonprofits that are helping North Korean refugees. And there was uh, no nonprofits in the United States that was actually doing anything. Uh, and we look at North Korea as this like crazy country with uh, nuclear weapons, not a country where you actually want to give you know philanthropic dollars to. Right. Uh, so my wife and I went to the border of North Korea and China uh, and spent two months on the ground and met just countless North Koreans that were in hiding, uh, many women that were trafficked, and all of them asking uh, us uh, for, for a way to help them. Uh, so we came back, started Liberty in North Korea, and Liberty in North Korea became known and still is known today uh, for operating underground re refugee rescue missions. And so we launched our first rescue mission in, in 2010, uh, which I helped conduct and I was on the ground from China to Southeast Asia. And uh, you know, for we've just recently celebrated a thousand rescues, and all of these rescues were were crowdfunded, right? Students, college right. age uh, students uh, that um, were funding it, um, and that that you know now spans like a course of uh, I just explained to you my la the last decade of my life, <laughs> and um, what was true like in day one working in Invisible Children raising funds in like high schools and colleges to you know funding these these rescues was it was it was hard to find really great technology um, to provide an experience for for young donors uh, and just overall just fundraising tactics um, that could be customized and uh, and just was robust enough to do the kind of campaigns we were doing so um, as I was working at Liberty North Korea uh, we started building fundraise uh, a technology company that's um, made for nonprofit organizations exclusively and uh, and that's what I've been doing for the past four years of my life is is building out the company and uh, making technology for uh, nonprofits all, all around the world. And uh, okay, so a couple of points there. One, your life was transformed by that documentary. Yes, like you, your path was completely shifted by the movement that you saw taking place. And I think that's worth noting because that's propelled you into the space that you're at now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is the reason um, why, you know, the past 14 years of my life have been dedicated in one way or the other, um, trying to help people or help nonprofits uh, accelerate their missions uh, all through that, you know, very visual experience that I had uh, sitting uh, in, in a room watching a documentary. 
And then the other thing that, that, uh, that I want to press into for a second is that, uh, I I've seen, um, videos of you speaking and talking specifically on the Liberty North Korea side, uh, something that you just hinted at, which was, you know, campaigns funded by young donors, high school, college age kids. Uh, take a second and just kind of break down what that looks like. Cause that for, you know, there's 1.6 million nonprofits in the U S and growing, so many of them struggle to connect with with donors below a certain threshold, let's even say 35, right? And so what did that look like as a marketing model for uh, Invisible Children and Liberty in North Korea to connect uh, with college students and help mobilize college students to into a movement? Yeah. So, you know, we, um, when we built out like our, our fundraising strategies uh, and specifically at Invisible Children, you, you know, we, we were like the average age, like the ideal donor age for us was 16, right? So most organizations would never say that. Most organizations would never target a 16 year old because they're like, they, there's no way this is gonna be a major donor for us. Um, but high school, college, or, you know, Gen Z, Gen, uh, Gen uh, millennials, uh, these generations have an incredible amount of disposable income um, and you have to compete for it, right? So you're competing against product, you're competing against experiences. And what we found was that if we could really highlight the importance of, of our work, if we could really prove to like the end user, to that 16 year old kid, that what we were doing, what we said, what we say we were doing, we we're actually doing, uh, that they would actually choose us over, you know, the newest iPhone. Um, and time and time again, I have seen that to be true, uh, where you provide this very visual experience. You help an individual understand this is the reality of what's happening and there is a solution and I'm a part of that solution. And so I want to get involved. I want to, I want to help. Um, and so that's really, I mean, that's as, as simple as it's been for us is just creating this experience. And what's great is that that's very, um, transferable, right. To different demographics, uh, diff uh, different generations, because everyone wants to have confidence in uh, the thing it is that they support and believe in. So right. you don't have to cater a strategy just to young people, but I do think that like it also needs to look hip and relevant uh, so that young people will consume it. Yeah, the uh, there's some research that we we did about a year and a half ago that you know we were looking at people on the back end of December 2018 where you know the expectations for online giving weren't. Uh, the reality wasn't up to expectation, essentially, right? The declines in December 2018 for all the different reasons. And uh, the the primary reason people chose not to give was a lack of connection. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. boil it down to that, right? And so what you're speaking to is a way to rethink or prioritize connection, right? To make something that can compete with product, right? Yeah. Because well, that's super important. Yeah. And, you know, you said, I mean... I think a lot of a lot of nonprofits are under the assumption that they're not competing with corporations. And as you know, corporate social responsibility is on the rise, and as they continue to become uh, more intertwined uh, to social impact and so forth, like nonprofits need to understand that they're not just competing against the nonprofit down the street or the nonprofit in the same vertical as them. They're competing against brands who have a lot of um, a lot of ability to you know take on an issue and market and rally support. Right. And so. You know, the, the difference, though, between something like Nike or 
an organization like Liberty North Korea is they're Liberty North Korea is on the ground, right? They're meeting with the people that they're helping. They can share those stories. And that is a product that I think, you know, corporations aren't really going to be able to ever um, get a hold of. And so the more that you can help bring that experience to the donor, the better chance you are, you are going to, to be able to track the right demographic and, you know, have higher online conversions and, and so forth. So you, so you went from being on the organization side to where you're, uh, you're not just helping raise money, but you're actually in the field and, you know, uh, in another setting, I want to hear some of those stories because, you know, I, I think that that's something that, um, that can help reiterate purpose for a lot of folks. But, but at what point in that did you start to feel this budding need for the technology that you mentioned? You know, you, yeah. you identified the need to uh, press into creating technology that was relevant, essentially. Uh, where, where along the way did that start to happen? And then what was the triggering event for you to say, okay, n now it's time for this idea of fundraise to become more than an idea? Yeah. So I read this report um, when I was working in, in nonprofit and I was like fascinated by it. And I think it was, um, I forget the, the exact like author of it, but basically it, it broke down that more Americans donate than they do vote. Hmm. And when you like take a step further into that and you look at, uh, well, how much money is being donated and, you know, 400 plus billion dollars a year and how much of that is actually, you know, being um, transacted online, you, you go sub 10% you start to think about, wow, like there's an opportunity to, you know, create a bigger pie for nonprofits. Cause I don't think it's that donors uh, are deciding instead of giving online, I'm going to write a check. I think that there's a whole demographic of people that just aren't giving because the experience isn't there for them to give uh, in, in the way that they want to give. Right. And I'm not talking about like a flashy website or like a sexy video. I'm talking about uh, the actual UI, the way that like I'm going to buy something on Amazon or the way I'm going to set up my Netflix subscription, these experiences just lack in the nonprofit space. And, uh, and so I felt like, I felt when I saw that as an opportunity to potentially help more nonprofits get a bigger piece of the pie, that it could be a really interesting business opportunity. Uh, and so that's what pushed me outside of the nonprofit uh, space. And it's, it's, there's been a really nice consequence because the, the past two nonprofits that I worked for were, you know, focused on single issues. Right. Uh, today, we're working with um, hundreds of different of issues. And so I'm learning about all these different challenges uh, right. and how important, um, you know, the nonprofit uh, community is, is, is in actually solving some of these big social problems. Um, so that's initially what pushed me into it, wanting to be able to help nonprofits get, you know, more funding uh, through modern, modern tactics. Uh, the, the idea about, you know, poor UX really being rampant in, in the nonprofit space. Uh, why, why, why do you think that is? I mean, you've got an, you've got an alternate solution at this point with modern tools and, and we certainly, I want to talk about fundraise in a little bit more detail, but, but why is poor UX such a consistent challenge or problem for nonprofits? So, I mean, I think like this has actually been true of every industry, right? That's made the shift from like online or offline to on online. Um, and I think like the last two industries, it's like nonprofit and it's, it's uh, uh, like doctor offices and hospitals and so forth, right? Like the, the health space. But specifically with nonprofits, I, it's, it's been hard because they simply just don't prioritize um, technology. They think that actually online fundraising is low dollar 
and is is not going to ever be able to compete with you know that like five figure six figure check so people don't look at their website uh, as an advertising tool they look at it more as a place to put some content to talk about the work to legitimize themselves but not actual as a platform to build community and to you know build up um a a community of of donors and and supporters and so forth Uh, and so i think it's just it's just a lack of uh just a just a lack of understanding of you know how powerful the digital uh space can be uh from from executives and senior level uh members at, at nonprofit organizations yeah, uh, the, I agree, Justin. I think that it's you know the uh, under-resourced side of the space fuels that, right? So um, you know that gets into discussions about overhead and, and whatnot. But but a lack of prioritizing even um, advancing technology and and playing catch up and wearing so many hats that you can't right? right whenever you're on the nonprofit side you're you're stretched in so many different ways uh, whenever you're trying to meet your fundraising goals and you have to answer to a board and uh and all those different things it's hard to put an effort behind technology so th- that really is a nice segue into a conversation about fundraise um, i'm interested in you talking about you know some of the approach that that your team takes, but I'm also interested in you talking about the spirit of fundraise and uh, the values in the organization. Uh, because from the outside looking in, I'm very interested in how your team goes to market essentially. Yeah. So um, I'll start more with like the, uh, like more like the culture and concept um, of, of a fundraise. And you know, being a, a fundraiser for 10 years, uh, building nonprofit organizations and, and running fundraising campaigns and, and raising tens of millions of dollars, you know, something I saw across the board was that often uh, the, the teams or the positions at nonprofit organizations that were like the most celebrated or the most kind of like sought after were like the program uh, teams, right? The people right. that were like directly related to the, to the impact. So these could be the your field officers or the individuals on this, um, you know, wherever the offices were that were helping spearhead the actual impact. Uh, and fundraising was always kind of this, um, you know, no one likes to ask for money, but you know, we have to, we need to ask for it and so forth. And so I always liked asking people for money uh, because I believe that like the return on their donation was, was so much more than they were actually giving us mm-hmm. that like we were actually doing people a favor by accepting their, their money. And I wanted to create that sort of energy and culture in, in my technology company um, because I want fundraisers and I want nonprofits to understand that the product they are giving to the end consumer, to the donor, is so much more valuable. And so, you know, through the technology and through the customer experience and journey with fundraise, uh, we really iterate on, on that point um, quite a bit. Um, and then as it relates to, to technology, you know, we, we took a look at the, at the, the landscape of, of philanthropy and we look at, you know, what exists out there, right? There's a lots, there's lots of tools. There's lots of technology that can, that can be used. Um, but how, what we noticed was that it was very, uh, fragmented, right? There was most nonprofits were using three or four or five different pieces of software. Right. And, and what we wanted to do is we wanted to bring all those things um, together in one platform. Uh, that would allow you to run, you know, your operations as an organization, uh, and to be able to fundraise across multiple channel channels, right? So it's not just about one single fundraising tactic; it's an omni-channel approach. 
So the technology is expansive in that sense where it allows organizations, gives them the tools in their tool belt to uh, reach new markets and allow them to experiment in, in pretty you know, cost-effective ways. Uh, and in modern ways. And I like the, the idea there of being uh, expansive, being able to help grow with the uh, nonprofits as they grow, as opposed to, you know, uh, being on the, the side of a, a marketing and analytics company, we, we typically inherit the systems that they have, right? right. And so uh, some of those systems are rusty, Right. And, yeah. and sometimes there's lots of duct tape. And so, you, you know, uh, it, uh, we love whenever we encounter nonprofits who are thinking ahead and trying to think about how do we become more modern, knowing that that's what we have to do to continually stay connected to uh, the, the donors that we're trying to find and acquire. And especially in the, uh, the current environment that we're in, in the nonprofit space. And, and now, you know, you and I chatting in, in early February on the, the forefront of this uh, likely crazy election cycle and, and how that plays into it. So uh, that refreshing and modern approach that you take, it also plays into some of the modern way that fundraise actually markets itself. Right. Um, the uh, the video content, the way that you produce webinars, uh, the sit down style, uh, conversations that you've had with folks about live stream fundraising, or with how uh, organizations capture data like Cherry to Water. Uh, talk to me about where that idea, where those ideas come from, in terms of um, you contributing as a, a thought leader, but also kind of this modern inquisitive nature that. Uh, that fundraise has as a, a identity. Yeah. Um, so when we when we you know look at the the way that we could best serve nonprofits, um, you know what what's apparent is it's not just technology, right? It's technology plays a role. It helps an organization become more efficient and effective uh, and break through into new channels. Um, but a lot of times there's a gap between you know purchasing software and then actually executing on that purchase. And so we create content that really helps support a lot of the modern fundraising of tactics and approaches that our tools allow you to do um, so that you have you know, free access to content and, and ideas that will hopefully inspire you or give you the tools that you need to then go execute on this new you know, thing that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, and and you know we we find the the right channels to distribute it and uh, and we've just seen success there because there's a lot of um, you know a lot of people end up in the nonprofit space but I think by accident and aren't aren't trained fundraisers or aren't trained in the, maybe the specific role that they're in and so you see just a huge need for uh, content uh, helpful content that's going to allow them to become better at their jobs and so when we when we look at like our marketing efforts as a company instead of just you know, uh, marketing, you know, or running ads on like a specific feature. It's like, let's, let's, let's get people to the content. Like let's yeah. let people discover us through our thought leadership, uh, through the way we talk about fundraising. And if it resonates, then maybe they'll raise their hand and want to buy our software. And we just yeah. seem that to be, um, successful. It's, it's, we create trust. Like we're going into like a demo with as like a consultant versus, you know, a seller. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of the, the strategy and the approach that we want to take. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I, 
I don't intend for this to be a full-on commercial for fundraise, but, <laughs> but I do, I appreciate because I, I feel like your team contributes and that's what I like about it, right? So as a contributor, um, I'm curious what you see as trends, emerging trends in philanthropy right now, uh, given that you have these conversations uh, with other thought leaders, like what, what do you see coming uh, ahead of us in 2020 and 2021 so that the nonprofit space can stay ahead? Yeah. Um, so we've, we've been talking about, you know, streaming a lot uh, over the last couple of weeks here. And, um, you know, this is an area that I think most nonprofits write off today because they're like, I don't even know what Twitch is or I don't know what Mixer is, whatever, you know, the, the live stream site might be. And so they write it off as just kind of another, you know, student low dollar uh, campaign effort. Um, but really, it's 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 actually more more traditional than non traditional. And what I mean by that is, you've got all these content creators on these platforms that have a following and have influence, and they're actually way more accessible than you know, like the stars in Hollywood and so forth. Mm -hmm. And as like a fundraising team, what you're good at is cultivating relationships with people, uh, bringing them into your mission, getting them excited about what you're doing and asking them to give or, or participate. It's the same thing with broadcasters or content creators, you know, on, in, uh, in live streaming is you give them to care about what you're doing and then they share your message with their, in, with their audience. And you, you don't, you're not curating it. You're not providing any materials. It's just, they're going to do the thing that they always are doing, but start talking about you and raising funds. And you see nonprofits that are literally raising, you know, million dollars a day uh, through this sort of, of effort. And it's not costing them, you know, anything. Uh, I think that we're going to start seeing more events transform into these live stream experiences, where it doesn't—it's not as important anymore to be actually be at the event. Instead, you could be watching from, you know, your living room uh, live and, and and engage with the content and actually engage with what, what's happening. Or maybe the event is virtual altogether, and you're not, you know, you're not putting on black tie attire and spending a ton of money and the organization's not, you know, dropping $100,000 for, for a venue. Uh, so I see that as being something that's super interesting that nonprofits um, are heading into. Younger, more agile nonprofits uh, have been very successful at this. I also think, um, you know, we're talking a lot over the next few weeks about event strategies. I also think that events in the next couple of years are just going, there's going to be a huge decrease in the number of, of events nonprofits hold. Um, fundraising events mm -hmm. and, and also the tactics that are used. So an example, uh, you know, in 2008 or 2009, uh, $16 billion was donated through like silent auctions. Mm -hmm. And that number continues to decrease rapidly at a rapid clip every year. And uh, I was talking with an individual about that. And he was like, yeah, he's like, that's because events have turned into garage sales. <laughs> and that's so true, right? Like it's, it's so detached from the mission. And, and when you're you're selling stuff. Now you're, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage against something like Nike or Apple because now you're selling a product and you're never going to have a better product than these companies. Right. Um, right. So, I think, so I think, you know, you're going to start to see some declines in, in some of these more like streamlined, uh, mainstream kind of fundraising appeals. And you're going to see organizations starting to think more creatively about uh, channels that aren't as crowded or noisy and, uh, and it's going to require them to create more content. I think nonprofits need to do that. The, um, you know, the, it, it calls to mind a uh, conversation that I, I've had with uh, one of our, our partners, Josh McQueen, who's a, a 
research savant, uh, and he said to me one time, Justin, the uh, you know channels don't go away; they evolve, hmm. right? And and to your point, events. Even if you look at you take event from a more broad perspective, and uh, the the change that has occurred in the run walk space over ten years, right? And and how crowdfunding now looks so different. It's not that that goes away. It's that it evolves. And so to your point, it could be that we're on the forefront of events evolving from black tie gala, you know, you can purchase the table or your individual seat and do the silent auction into more of the live streaming. I've, I've, be, I've had the thought around live streaming of how it, it's also kind of a pseudo modern telethon. Right, so that 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 sort of broadcast experience evolved into something that's more relevant to connect with people today, and it doesn't have to be connecting with young people, but it's connecting with people who uh, are more tech savvy or tech forward. And I think that yep. that's important for nonprofits. That's easier for, as you said, the younger, more agile nonprofits. So when you're having that conversation with a legacy nonprofit, who um, the bulk of their uh, their revenue, gross or net, still comes from traditional channels uh, in mail and telemarketing. Uh, how how do you walk that delicate line of creating for them uh, ways to to test into these uh, without it feeling like something that they have to invest heavily in? Yeah, that's a great question. So. I was talking to a nonprofit uh, the other day and they were like, we're, you know, uh, we were so good at direct mail. It's not going anywhere. We did over a million dollars last year through direct mail. I was like, well, how much did you spend on it? And like, we spent $750,000. I was like, that is the worst return ever uh, for a fundraising, you know, uh, method, method. Like you're, you're not even getting a, a dollar to, you know, to every dollar you're spending. And so I was doing a little bit more like a dollar 30 or something like that. Yeah. And I think that, a lot of nonprofits in the conversations that I have with them is helping understand that, um, you know, it's not that we're trying to say, Hey, direct mail is bad, right? Cause there's, there's definitely plenty of use cases for it. I actually think direct mail, the best use case of direct mail is to drive people online. Um, and to give them that experience, uh, through a piece that's more meaningful, uh, direct mail works best when maybe I donate a hundred bucks and I'm said something two days later, um, as a like a reminder of that gift, right? It's going to keep me top of mind, keep that experience um, a part of my of my memory. Um, so yeah, so I think it's 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 helping nonprofits understand that hey, you don't have to change everything. Uh, you don't have to like do away with everything. I think I think it's just refocusing on the areas that make sense uh, yeah. and and starting small, right? Starting, I mean, it's if you're going to run a peer to peer campaign, uh, then maybe do something on Facebook at first to see what where your audience is at. Uh, if they will raise funds on, on your behalf and, and if you deem it successful, then figure out, well, how do we scale this up to the next level? You know, how do we go from, uh, $10,000 to a hundred thousand uh, dollars, and take those sort of steps, uh, to prove the concept because, uh, like marketing as as you know, you know, better than, than I do, it's not every tactic works the same for everyone or every channel works yeah. as well for everyone. It's understanding what channels is my, where's my audience and mm -hmm. what type of content and resources do they need? Uh, to actually get activated. Um, so yeah. it's, it's, that's the conversation that we typically have.
No, I think, I think that, I think you're spot on. I think that you should definitely have that organization. Give me a call. Cause I can help them with their net revenue return uh, <laughs> on, on the mail side. That's, but you know, you're right. So even mail is, has evolved into for, especially let's say the younger end of, of, of boomers uh, and, and, you know, even the upper end of Gen X uh, it's a vehicle that gets them online right? Sure. Yeah. It, it hasn't evolved in that it is a very meaningful channel in that it carries intimacy because of the thing that it's something you can hold. It's tactile. Yeah. And I love that about it, but it, it has to work in concert with everything else. Yeah. And it, and so uh, I agree with you. I think that, uh, that the, um, that nonprofits would be, they would benefit by, balancing out that risk aversion uh, with an understanding of their audiences that they're talking to and finding ways to try one or two new things with everything that they're doing in their marketing channels to see if they can't test and improve and modernize their approach. Yeah. Right. Cause if you're not modernizing it, you're going to get left behind. And then I think this is like, this is where, where things start, start to fall apart for a lot of nonprofits is, on the, on the attribution side or on, on the understanding of what's working and what's not, uh, or A-B testing, a lot of organizations just don't know how to work with data. And, um, and it's because they don't have someone you know, on, the, on the team. It's too long, the profits have prioritized you know, passion over actual skill. Yeah. And, and I think that that's like one of the greatest threats in the nonprofit community today is we hire people that are passionate but don't have the right skills to do what the organization actually needs. Uh, and, and, you know, that's where you start to see things break down. And that's why you see bad decisions being made and organizations fall apart uh, because, because of that. Um, I also wanted to comment on, um, real quickly to go back to that direct mail thing to talk about how it, it leads you to a, a more like intimate place. Mm -hmm. um, it was a few years ago where Nordstrom like uh, cut, you know, cut its direct mail marketing. And you probably know like this story, but they, they cut it and they saw, they saw a decline in online uh, their online revenue and they realized that you know there was this whole market of people that would you know get these coupons or get these these discounts and will go onto onto the site and, and buy their goods they didn't think that it was actually working because they weren't tracking it properly um and so that's that's where i see with with nonprofits is we send a piece with an envelope and say hey send us a check back but right. instead it's like this is what we're doing. This is what we've accomplished. Come yeah. check it out over here, right? Yeah, well, no, I mean, it's, but it's, it's no different than relationships in your own life. Like we all have pockets of people that we talk to through different means, whether or not that's, uh, you know, uh, my parents have texted more in the last two or three years than they ever have in their life. So they're, they're aging down into that as a, a means, but that doesn't mean I don't call them. And, right. and, and my wife has a group of people that she sends cards to handwritten cards and, I mean, just go buy stamps and you know, cause you, <laughs> you don't have stamps lying around, at least in, in my house, like, uh, I, I did as a child, but so that effort to send someone something, but you know what it does is that sending something through the mail prompts that person to then respond to her in text and say, thank yeah. you so much for the car. It's, it's relational, right? Totally. And so there's a meaningfulness to the the mail that that uh, I think that we lose also on all sides of the spectrum of not thinking about it as the right type of vehicle to drive people online to create a, a connection and uh, it's a a primary way to connect with 
with folks, especially on the upper end of the donor spectrum. Now that doesn't get into, you know, the, the tactics that many people take around gimmicks, right? And so filling it with, you know, using tote bags and using other premiums that can um, fictitiously create a relationship between you and the nonprofit as opposed right. to something that is tied to the mission, like w which was your experience. You yeah. know, early on, you were moved by the mission and seeing the impact that your work could do. And so that wed you to uh, ultimately invisible children. So it's interesting the, the human dynamics that play into marketing that as marketers, we sometimes forget. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. And I think, you know, if you create like a, uh, a culture of transactional giving, uh, you're, you're going to run into donor churn problems much more, much more severely uh, than creating a culture where the donor is, you know, the relational and they understand the needs that they're funding, they understand the impact that the organization is making. Uh, those types of donors are going to stick with you longer, especially with younger donors. I mean, uh, you know, younger donors don't really care about the name of the organization. Like the logo isn't that important to them. It's more the cause, right? It's like who's doing the best at eliminating sex trafficking? Who's doing the best at right. eliminating, you know, world hunger? It's those types of, uh, that's the, what these younger donors are looking at and they want to invest in, in, in that, not necessarily a specific logo, right? They don't care yeah. if it's like the, the, they don't care if it's like the best brand. Yeah. Um, so. Well, yeah. and, and, and Justin, I think that you're a, you're in particular a thought leader around the younger donor space. Um, I think it's a part of your journey. I think it's a part of the culture of fundraise and uh, certainly a lot of the content and, um, and, and stuff that, that your team puts out. So given the perspective that younger donors are less moved by uh, brand identity, right? And they're more moved by being able to see impact uh, does that make them higher risk at retaining them in the traditional means that retention has been measured of year over year giving? Right. That's a good question. Um, you know, I think that, I mean, there's, you're going to have risk with every, every donor and every demographic of, of donor. I think that what young donors force you to do is, is to kind of cut out the bullshit of, of your marketing, right? Yeah. To, and I would, you know, in, in many different cases, um, you know, put kind of like the gimmicks in that category and focus really on what the end result is. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, and if you do that right and if you do that consistently, the, they're going to become much more than a donor to you. Uh, mm -hmm. They're going to they're be fundraisers for you. They're going to give monthly. Uh, they're going to be much more engaged. They will become a part of the organization you know, just not, not as like a W2 employee, but they will right. be a part of the organization uh, in its ups and downs. Yeah. If, if they're, um, if they're talked to and marketed to in, in, you know, in, in the right way. So, um, are they at risk of, of greater churn? I think if, if you don't do what you should do, yes, mm -hmm. uh, they, they are. But if, if you really focus on the important stuff, then no, that they should be with you, you know, for, for the long haul. And as they, you know, come into wealth and as they, uh, get you know higher paying jobs like they potentially will give you more and more money uh, and so the LTV on a younger donor could be you know astronomically bigger yeah yeah uh, last two things man as as we wrap up uh, I know that 
Um, we could sit here and chat all day. We're going to, we're going to pick up our chat at uh, NTC in Baltimore, by the way. But um, what I'm curious, just kind of, you know, what creative project you and your team are currently working on that you're super excited about um, what's new or different, what's coming, what should we expect to see from fundraise or just on, on your own? What, what, what creative thing are you working on that you're excited about? Yeah, so we're actually working on a podcast as well. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Yeah, I know yeah. somebody that does that. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I, I should probably get some uh, some advice from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're we're launching a, a, a podcast that's going to be called Nonstop Nonprofit. Um, and what we want to do uh, with the podcast is we want to bring in like domain experts and uh, in you know in in the nonprofit space. But then also like look at their, like, for example, like a chief development officer, right? Uh, what would be the equivalent in the, in the for-profit space? Uh, VP of sales. Sure. And we want to talk to kind of like their peer on the other, on the other side of like, you know, the business world yeah. and, and pull and borrow tactics and try to bring the best practice of business more into the nonprofit space. Oh, I um, love that. So, that's kind of that's kind of the theme, and you know we're gonna kind of go with in a lot of different directions with it. Uh, but we've recorded four or five episodes. We're gonna launch here in the next like month or so, and uh, the goal is is um, just to provide more content, you know, for for nonprofits, uh, executives, and and development teams, and so forth. So that's um, that's something that I'm really excited about. I'm uh, looking forward to releasing. That's soon. super cool, that's man. Super that cool. yeah, uh, yeah, I'll. I know we'll be excited to see how that plays out as a team and uh, be sure to throw you guys a follow and all that kind of stuff. How can people, you know, just as we wrap up, man, how can people connect with you online uh, and connect with the team? Yeah. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's just Justin Wheeler um, is what you can search for. Uh, you can shoot me an email. It's Justin at fundraise, uh, F-U-N-R-A-I-S-E.io or shoot me a text, 562-242-8160. I'm happy to, um, uh, I would love to hear from people in any way that I can be helpful. Um, I, you know, I, I do five to 10 calls a week with nonprofits just to hear about their fundraising strategies and, and if there's any way that I can be helpful you know, outside of, of fundraising and, and our product. Uh, so I love talking with, with nonprofit uh, practitioners and uh, love to be helpful in any way that I can. So those are probably the best three ways to get in touch with me. Very cool. Justin Wheeler, you are uh, a delight, man. Uh, it's really fun to, to chat with you. And uh, it's certainly fun to chat with other Justins. Like, <laughs> you know, maybe there's an all Justin podcast that we do down the road. There you go. I like that. Uh, yeah. But no, I really appreciate you making time and, and, uh, and us being able to connect and talk through some of the stuff and, and look forward to catching up soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for inviting me. It was, it was a lot of fun. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. See ya. Okay, so that was part one of my conversation with Justin Wheeler from Fundraise. And uh, a few things as I go back and I listen to it again and I, uh, you know, watch the conversation between Justin and I unfold. Uh, you know, we're talking about the smart use of technology. Uh, we're talking about letting strategy drive um, and data drive our strategies, I should say, not letting tech drive our strategy. We're talking about the advancement of streaming and investing in, uh, in, in streaming. And now here we are six to seven months down the road and we've seen digital adoption just explode 
and everyone be forced to move conferences online and be forced to move uh, galas and events online. And uh, my goodness, we're so tired of video calls, but we, we do it all the time. And so who knew, right? Um, uh, that we would we would just weeks prior to uh, you know the initial wave of the pandemic taking over that that this conversation would become so apropos. Okay, so so now I want to shift to sharing with you part two of my conversation with Justin, and we talk about what has happened with the fundraise team since March, but then we also talk about what uh, Justin sees as to come through the end of the year and. Uh, and as we look forward into 2021. So here's part two of my conversation with Justin Wheeler from Fundraise on Group Thinkers. All right, Justin. So here we are again, man. Uh, it's, it's our Justin and Justin podcast. Love it. Um, we last spoke in February when uh, the world was a different place. Very different. Uh, and winter had not yet come. <laughs> and, uh, man, just, uh, just to catch up, and you and I were chatting a little bit before hitting record, but what, what, has, uh, what has this looked like for the fundraise team over the last six, seven months? Um, and, and as a leader uh, and, and, you know, the, um, a driving force for fundraise for a business, what, how have you dealt with this crisis? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's it's funny. At least in the early days of the pandemic, it felt like the the playbook was changing almost daily. Um, and and so, I think that the you know the first thing that we our executive team really just agreed upon is we're just going to be as agile as possible, um, and we're not going to try to to forecast or predict what's going to happen the rest of the year. Um, so we going into into 2020 though we had um, large growth plans. Um, you know we we had hired a team. Uh, we had we had gr- doubled this our sales team, uh, ramped up marketing. We had put a lot of investment in um, in growth. And um, as soon as the pandemic hit, you know we we weren't certain how that would impact growth uh, that we had mapped out. But we knew it would it would have some impact, um, so our goal immediately switched from high growth, hyper growth to how do we how do we survive this year without having to you know let go of anyone? Uh, we want to keep the sales team, we want to keep our marketing. Like how do we just how do we just navigate these uncertain times? Um, so we we really made that decision together, and and the company came together shoulder to shoulder. And although it's been hard to see. I mean, we've been separated since March. We haven't, we've, we've been working remote since March and, and, and we've traditionally have been a very low, uh, in office sort of culture. Uh, but it's been amazing to see the productivity, um, increase, you know, people not commuting, people spending more time with their families. People seem generally happier, even though we're living in a stressful time. Uh, so much so it's actually causing us to think, are we ever going to go back? Like people love this remote life. Um, so yeah, so that, that's kind of a, you know, a high level, uh, and, but it, it has been, it's been interesting and what has maybe what has made up for like the, the, the 
you know, the growth goals shrinking a bit. We're still growing and we're still onboarding a ton of new clients. So it's exciting. Uh, we've seen that sort of get made up by just the transition our customers have had to go from more traditional fundraising to digital. And so that's been, it's just been, a, it's been a different growth challenge. It's been a different growth opportunity. Uh, one that I, I believe is not uh, conditional to the times we're in, but is actually going to be a part of the DNA of so many nonprofits, you know, moving past uh, the pandemic. Yeah. It's uh, the, you know, you use the word agile and I think that agility is uh, something that everyone has had to tap into. Yeah. It's uh, the, you know, you use the word agile and I think that agility is uh, something that everyone has had to tap into with, yep. with this current time. And, and I think about uh, the, there was in the last month or so a, an article put out by McKinsey, the, the, you know, the renowned consulting group that uh, commented that in 10 weeks we advanced uh, digital adoption by five years. Yep. Right? So in 10 weeks you move forward five years and, uh, and that has an impact. So, so in the spirit of agility, you know, uh, and being agile as an executive team, how has that impacted your, your product roadmap? How has that impacted the way that you, uh, either develop new features or roll out new features and, and then explain that out to your, your customer base sold to enterprises for the most part. Like that's our, you know, we're, we're focused on organizations that are just more stable and uh, are, you know, have more sophisticated fundraising and marketing initiatives and programs. Um, going into the year uh, before we knew COVID would hit, you know, we realized that there's, there's, you know, there's huge amount of opportunity at the, at the, you know, SMB level. Uh, and these are organizations that, you know, obviously they don't have a ton of startup capital or capital to invest in, in really great technology. So what, what COVID did for us is it forced us to shift some priorities in terms of, of roadmap uh, product uh, to accelerate um, some, something that we're going to be actually launching here in a couple of months, uh, which we call fundraise free uh, it's going to be for nonprofit organizations under a million dollars in revenue who need um, great software to adapt to the times uh, that we're in and be able to grow, you know, with the product. So if they hit the two, three, four million, they'll have more product that they can add to their tool belt as, as they grow. So it's forced us to think about how do we help nonprofits during this time who don't have a lot of extra capital? How do we grow with them? And at the same time, uh, how do we continue to build out the enterprise, pr enterprise products that we know will uh, help our customer base, but more now with a focus on less traditional you know, CRM product and more digital fundraising tools that help organizations take a more omni-channel omni approach. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's you know, one of the, the major emerging trends coming out of it right that yep. uh, and there are there are these pre coronavirus trends that have been massively accelerated uh both at the strategic level like um the need for better retention like yep. that's a that's a strategic trend that has been massively accelerated but then there's also you know uh some more tactical trends that have um that have emerged. And, and I think that, you know, even when you talk about fundraise free uh, or, or the free version of the product that's to come, giving the smaller nonprofits the option of replacing uh, PayPal as a donation form. 
Yeah. Right? <laughs> giving like, let's get you onto something that's a little more mature, something that you can grow with that sort of thing. Uh, what, you know, you think through that, you look at the shift to virtual from an event space, from a, a gala, uh, you know, space, you look at the, uh, the massive explosion in streaming as a fundraising yep. tool. Um, there have been some really incredible um, developments and transformations that have happened since March. Um, wh what are you seeing or what do you believe are the most exciting transformations that are happening right now that you know will continue to blow up through the remainder of 2020? I mean, you know, you... you really nailed it with the research that McKinsey put out. Uh, it's essentially, I think it's, it's less about a specific product adoption and it's more that nonprofits have been forced uh, to adopt digital fundraising strategies. Um, and, you know, that was something you typically see 10, 20% of an organization's revenue come in from online channels. It's, it's, it's completely flipped now. Um, and so I think that's been one of the most fascinating things to actually see. And, and, and organizations have done this incredibly well. They've made this pivot in almost a seamless manner where it's, it's, uninterrupted so many nonprofits, you know, overall revenue goals for the year. Um, a lot of our customers, I mean, you, you of course have organizations that are struggling mm -hmm. and haven't been able to navigate the situation. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, variables for that. But there are a lot of organizations and I think it's the organizations that basically say, we're going to still fundraise through this. We're not going to stop fundraising. We're not going to stop what we're doing and we're just going to keep going. These organizations are, are doing incredibly well today. Uh, we were fortunate right before the pandemic, we actually released um, some new product that was around streaming that was around, you know, online, uh, like uh, on, yeah, being, being able to host those streams uh, and to have donation overlays on streams. So we were, we had done that ahead of the pandemic just because we saw that trend was, was something that was happening anyways. And so we were very fortunate to have that ahead of, of, of COVID. So that is something that we, we, you know, gave to our customers to, uh, to for, for their events and so forth. And then the, the last thing I, I, I think is it's uh, really important and something that we're uh, advising our customers is as, as we go into Q4, which is obviously gala season, end of year giving, uh, is, and so we're going to see this huge uprise in, in virtual galas. It's not just to try to take the event that you were going to do at that, in that ballroom and, and do it online. You have, an, you have a massive opportunity. I mean, you, so many nonprofits pour so much energy and time into the content that's created at these events and only 200 people see it. Now, today, it's unlimited, right? It's, this thing's gonna be on the internet. It's accessible to anyone and everyone. And so I think the opportunity to get, uh, and, uh, to get the word out, to raise more funds, uh, to use this content, not just in one night setting, but week after week after week, I think there's just so much opportunity that nonprofits would have potentially been afraid to try to do if the pandemic wasn't here. So uh, I'm excited to see how, how these virtual gals work out and what nonprofits do. The, uh, we can no longer kind of rest on, well, this is how we've always done it, mm. right? Like that's, that's yeah. gone, that ship has sailed. And, and to your point, you know, when you talk about events and the, uh, they're no longer being geographic boundaries, yep. uh, but not just that, the, the opportunity that we have right now to enter in a, into a new space. Uh, I mean, we, we get to be trailblazers, right? And, and I wouldn't have said that or thought that with the same spirit uh, a year ago, yeah. right? Because yes, we were evolving as a space, but 
we're actually setting the course for the next normal of what fundraising looks like. And I think that that's super exciting for us, um, even in the midst of what is still a pandemic, yep. you, know, uh, you know, globally from a health standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, and still trying to figure out what that looks like from an economic standpoint. Totally. Uh, I, just to comment on that real quick, I think, you know, I, I, I think a lot about that and I, I, I call it like the blockbuster moment, like nonprofits, they have to make the decision. Do we want to be blockbuster or do we want to be Netflix? And, and that is, that, that question was here well ahead of, of COVID, but it's forced nonprofits to look at that question much more seriously and with a, a lot more immediacy uh, because it, it's, it, their survival is on the line as, as a result. And, and nothing can make you uh, maybe more agile than having something like that nip at your heels, right? Exactly. It gets exactly. a little adrenaline going and, and you start to push through. So, so here we are in early September having this chat, catching up. And, and whenever we, we look ahead to you know, the fourth quarter, as you mentioned, it's exciting because of the opportunities that we have in virtual. Uh, and it's also uh, exciting because it's traditionally – um, a, a very important season for giving uh, and, and a season where many nonprofits uh, tend to make their year, right? It can be a difference maker, but we still are in this spirit of uncertainty. And, and uh, we were chatting about that briefly, you know, the uncertainty with, um, with just the virus itself, the uncertainty around the, heat and impact of an election. Uh, there are so many uncertain forces. Uh, and so I'm curious uh, what you what you feel like, you know, Q4 is going to look like from a giving standpoint um, and what impact this uncertainty could have on your in donations compared to years past. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And if, if there's one thing 2020 has taught me, it's to stop trying to pre uh, predict the future, uh, but I'll do it anyways, um, just because uh, it'll at least be fun to look back on at the end of the, end of the year and see uh, how close uh, we were. Yeah, I'm not gonna um, hold you to either side, <laughs> right? Oh no, yeah, totally. So the first, there's a couple like metrics that are interesting to me to look at in Q4. One I think is inevitable is the, the margins nonprofits will see for every dollar invested in fundraising is gonna be much higher. Uh, you're not going to spend a hundred thousand dollars on, on a gala this year. You could spend 30 or 40 and raise more, much more money than you would at an event. So I think the ROI on, on fundraising dollars is going to be much more significant, uh, in, in Q4 than, than in most quarters, perhaps. Um, and in terms of just the velocity of, of giving for Q4, I, I'm very optimistic that it, it could potentially be one of our best quarters uh, in, uh, in a long time, one of the best Q4s in a long time. And the reason for that, uh, is, is, oh, there's a few reasons. One, I think if we look at like, if we look at disasters that have happened, uh, at, uh, you know, ahead of Q4 giving you generally, and you see, you know, outpouring of, of dollars raised during these, you know, uh, world disasters, Q4 giving is, is usually unharmed by that, right? So uh, looking at COVID, this is a global disaster. We saw a huge influx of giving. I think that's just the generosity of individuals who want to come together. They want to do something. I think humans are inclined to be generous. And so it was just a human response to kind of come to the aid of your favorite charities during, during these hard times. 
And I don't think that's going to be like, oh, I've already done my part. I'm not going to give anymore. Um, so I think that there's still plenty of opportunity. Uh, but organizations, I think the biggest obstacle or organizations have to overcome is, hey, we did that big COVID campaign in the summer. Can we really do it? Uh, can we do really do another big campaign in Q4? And the answer is yes, you have to. You have to run your Q4 fundraising like any other Q4. Um, and you have to put yourself out there and you have to set your goals and you have to, to go for it. I think this is what will be the difference between organizations who do well and those who don't. That's what we saw in the summer. Um, and, and so that's, so yeah, so I'm, I'm optimistic. I think that it could be a record-breaking Q4 uh, as long as organizations put the same energy and effort they would have in previous years. Completely agree. Uh, I was having a conversation with a colleague today uh, who is also very bullish on Q4. And so you have to, we, we have to teeter exactly as you just said, man. If you look back to 2017 with the hurricanes and, you know, you had three hurricanes hit back to back to back over the course of a number of weeks. And yes, there's a tremendous amount of disaster response. And, uh, and, but at the end of the day, if you, if you express your need in the right way in December, they're going to, people are going to respond to that. Yeah. And actually the, the better that you steward that relationship from between disaster giving to whenever that need comes up again, you know, the, uh, the better chance that you have obviously from retaining and, and gathering second gifts. And, and, uh, and so I, I agree. I think that it's an opportunity for nonprofits to uh, invest in Q4 like they haven't in the past because you can mm. do it in smart ways. Yep. Uh, that doesn't mean that you have to sink everything into one channel. Obviously, if, if we've learned anything about the need to be agile, it's also you know the need to, to be agile together and collaborate yeah. together. Uh, an example that I'll share that, that I saw an organization that we work with do is that early in the uh, early in April, they noticed that they were having some challenges with caging because they cage internally. So they get all their, they get their direct mail uh, receipts coming back in, they're processing that stuff internally. And because of their location, it became difficult for uh, them to receive things. And because they couldn't have staff go to their offices, yeah. they couldn't actually process it at the same speed. Well, that's a major issue because then the dollars don't get into the bank. Yeah. Right. And not only that, but then uh, your acknowledgements, your dependencies on communicating back to that donor are all dependent on you having someone in-house open that envelope, look at process, enter data, yeah. et cetera. So they actually communicated out through mobile and through direct mail that, uh, hey, you're going to be getting stuff from us in the mail. The, the best way for you to help us right now is to go online. Huh, interesting. The, the best thing for you to do is to go to this URL. You can safely, securely, you know, yeah. so, uh, you know, I don't know that they realized that they were blazing a different trail, but it is yeah, because it's, it's forcing that collaboration. And, you know, I think there's a tremendous opportunity for nonprofits to do that right now as they plan for Q4 totally in and out of their gala yep. in and out of, you know, the, uh, the fall acquisition that they're going to be doing in and out of the way that they're going to be using social and display, et cetera, to tighten up that collaboration um, and express the need and say, thank you you know, 70 times over yep. uh, to deepen their relationship. So really and, and, interesting. 
and on that too, like if you think about it, like just how the world has changed is help consumer behavior adapt to this, this sort of thing, right? So if you normally run direct mail in Q4, you can still do that, but put a QR code on, on your direct mail piece because we're all used to scanning QR codes going to restaurants now. Right. Um, and whether you're, you know, 25 or 60, like everyone has to do it. And so I think that like consumerism has, has adjusted and, and no longer do we have to really educate a population of our donors because if they're living in society uh they've are been forced to also change sort of the way they interact and and touch things and so i think that you know that's such a great point where um it's it, you can use the same channel but provide maybe a different outlet um and that's gonna be interesting to see how how uh, strong direct mail campaigns how they perform this this uh this at the end of the year yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, the, you know, the QR thing because had uh, someone like you or I made that recommendation, um, let's say four or five years ago, six yeah. years ago, maybe even up to 10 years ago, uh, it would have bombed in terms of showing an <laughs> ROI, right? Yeah. Never, never would have happened. And so to your earlier point, Justin, like remove the idea that what we you know previously tried or the way that we've always done is the way that we should do it and look at things from a fresh perspective and i think that that's going to help those who uh enter into the market with fervor in in the months ahead um man this it's a uh, it's a great chat and and i'm excited to see you know what what's coming from fundraise uh in the coming months just as we wrap uh you you've already talked about the event thing so you can't talk about, you know, the event side of the product. You talked about the free version of the product, so you can't talk about that. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm asking you to go a little bit deep. And I'm just curious, like, you know, th this is a time for transformation. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I believe that from everything that I see, read, and watch from you and the team that you guys act on inspiration at a very high level. And so I'm curious, uh, what else is in the works or what project is it that you're working on right now that's really driving some inspiration for you and the fundraise team? Yeah, we're, I would say another uh, component, another thing that we've been really excited about, we've been working on, we've been working on all year and is also close to releasing uh, is, is basically an online uh, university for fundraisers. Um, and we've brought some of, of just the brightest minds of created content, uh, video lessons, uh, to, and we're giving it away for free. There's not going to be any, any cost to that either. Uh, and so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really tied into who we are as a company is we want to provide resources to the nonprofit community. We want, we want to increase generosity. And so I think this, this next phase of sort of our content that we release and that we're giving out to the nonprofit community, um, which is going to be catered, you know, towards a new sort of a reality of how your organization must be thinking about fundraising in 2021 and beyond. Uh, I'm excited to get that out there because I think there's, there's lots of good, good stuff that um, whether you're at a million dollar nonprofit or a hundred million dollar nonprofit can be really valuable. Um, so that's been a fun project to work on because it's just, it's, you know, as you mentioned, it's, it's how, like, how do we, how do we iterate on things that have worked well in the past, but because of the condition may not work as well now, uh, what elements of it still works and, and what needs to change. Uh, and it's been fun having those conversations and, and, uh, hopefully it's helpful for, uh, the community at large. Man, that's great, Justin. I, I, I love hearing that and, uh, and knowing that you and the team just continue to give back and to sow into the space and, uh, you know, to see the ride. So as people, you know, hear this and, and want to 
connect with you or to find out more about fundraise where where should they go what, what how can they get in touch with you yeah no great question um so um uh, pretty active on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Justin Wheeler. Um, you can uh, check out our website. It's uh, fundraise.org. Uh, no D just fundraise. Um, or you could uh, shoot me an email. It's justin at fundraise.org or a text five, six, two, two, four, two, eight, one, six, zero. All the options, man. All of them. <laughs> Justin, it's great catching up to you, man. I, I can't wait to see these, uh, these elements of the product. Uh, come to life and get it on the market and we'll have to uh, we'll have to catch up again and look back on our predictions and, and see how we fared let's do it love to all right thanks bud we'll talk to you soon all right thanks okay so there's justin wheeler in two parts on uh on the show and uh you know it, it really is uh it's fun to be able to revisit these conversations and see where we went right and where we went wrong and and different things that we're working on uh, and and advancing. Uh, but what I love about it is, you know, Justin and I uh, agreeing on the opportunities that are ahead in Q4 and being, you know, uh, proactive and being mindful about collaborating, about bringing your channels together, about using data to inform what we're doing, uh, keeping a near and real time look on results and, uh, and most of all staying active, right? Uh, not relying on what we used to do as our path forward, but instead, uh, advancing, right? Realizing that yesterday is gone and and that we have to be moving towards tomorrow. It's, it's, uh, such a keen part of, um, of the way that we market now. And so I appreciate the opportunity to catch up with Justin and to have that conversation. Hey, listen, um, would love it if you would throw us a follow on social media. You can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at Group Thinkers. Uh, you can also follow at RKD Group. Uh, we have uh, a ton of content that tackles current issues and uh, helps provide resources to nonprofit decision makers around what's happening and and what the heck you should do about it. So be sure to check that stuff out. You can always check out rkdgroup.com. And so that's it for this uh, special two-part episode. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking out Group Thinkers. We'll see you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers. Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.